Uh-huh. I just feel like I've been around the block, ripping up fantasy stock, working around the clock. Look at the view from the top. Researching rookies a lot? No, I just be listening to pods. Yeah, one in particular. I'm just a messenger. Let me just pass on the rock. Uh. Browning, brunning, bruning, pronouncing ain't what he's doing. What he's doing is not losing, but infusing you with new things. And there's Dennis the Bennett. Yeah, the man is a menace. Yeah, building a dynasty. Some of the finest things. Promise you, you won't regret it. Mm. Sly as a fox, cultured in pop, give him his props. Here is a thought, here is a box, and you cannot compare them at all, so don't even try. Careful with the news, but when you use a take, I take up Tony Fire, I mean dire, because anyone else is a huge mistake. Whoa, fantasy round table, fantasy, fantasy round table, yeah, fantasy round table, come take a look at the crown, baby. Hey, fantasy round table, fantasy, fantasy round table, fantasy round table, come take a look at the crown, baby. Go. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Bruning. It is Monday, which means I've got the talented and wonderful Mr. Matthew Fox with me as well. We've got a ton of breaking news going on as we speak, possibly, which we will definitely jump into. We are going to talk more about our rookie running backs. We talked about our top five last week on this episode. We got talked with our wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks with the great John Lobb on Thursday. We're going to continue talking about those, and then we're going to attempt to get through 26 picks of Mock Draft 3.0. This is it. We're not changing it no matter what happens. Even if there's a trade tomorrow and someone jumps up to two, we're not changing our picks. We're setting it in stone. And last but not least, we're going to talk a little bit of Cap. Or not Cap, I'm sorry, Falcon and the Winter Soldier today. So, Huge episode with a massive uh, little cliffhanger and ending there for the last episode. So we are definitely going to jump into that as well. Before we start talking about that, though, Matt, how are you doing on this beautiful Monday? Well, you know, I'm doing uh, better than my Keyshawn Vaughn shares right now. <sighs> I know. I know. You know, I'm in the middle of a campus to Canton startup, and I took Keyshawn Vaughn, like, I don't know what round we're in. Let me pull it up really quick, because I'm a little bit sad, uh, because uh, we'll get into that news as well. But not quite as, I guess, pressing as the Julian Edelman news. So we are in round 23. Let's see where I took Keyshawn Vaughn. I took Keyshawn Vaughn in round 18, which I think is pretty fair value yeah. in, a, in, a, in a startup draft. Not anymore. It's not. I mean, geez, I might try and grab the guy they they just signed here in a minute since he's still on the well, board. My goodness. It's just like you have the coach talking about how, you know, he thinks Keyshawn Vaughn's in for a big year. Then they re-signed Fournette, and you're like, well, still Fournette and Jones are there. So, But at least Keyshawn Vaughn doesn't have to deal with, you know, a, another veteran in his way like LaShawn McCoy. And then they go sign Gio Bernard today, and you're like, well – he seems like the kind of guy you'd bring in if you're looking for a ca- pass catching specialist. So apparently, Keyshawn Vaughn's big step forward in year two is going to be his improved punt and kick returns. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, let's just jump right into it. If you missed the news, Giovanni Bernardi was in a one year deal. I haven't seen yeah, it one year deal. One year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which. I've always liked Giovanni Bernard, so hey, yeah. good for him. You know, chance to get a ring. Obviously, a lot of people think Tampa Bay is going to repeat. I am not one of them, but a lot of people do think they're going to repeat. Hey, Gio, go get yourself a ring if you can. Yeah. That being said, 
I mean, come on, man. Like, I don't. Why? Why? I mean, how many running backs do they need? I guess it probably two more would be my guess. They'll add two more, but I mean, I guess it's not a guarantee that he makes the roster, right? I mean, it maybe they're just signing him. They and carried we'll the, the Sean McCoy but... all year, so not... that's true. The, the thing is, good for Tampa and their fans. You know, you won the yes. Super Bowl, you want to make a run. It, it makes sense, football wise, no doubt. If you can do it, great move. Fantasy wise, we are once again seeing Tampa Bay collect an immense amount of talented players. You know, they're like five and six deep at, at all these positions. It almost seems like now. And that's where it's a bummer because you have a lot of player. They can't all produce all the time. Yeah. So just really quick reaction on next game. We just found out about this news. I mean, it was probably a couple hours ago. I think this dropped maybe two hours yeah. ago. So yeah. what, you're getting ready for a startup. How are you valuing this backfield now? Because you've got, you know, likely, as you just mentioned, they did carry LaShawn McCoy the entire season. So they're thinking they're going to go into the season with Rojo, Fournette, Bernard, and probably Vaughn is the fourth on the depth chart now. Yeah. I, I, part of me still likes Ronald Jones the best. But whereas I was never really concerned about LaShawn McCoy, um, it feels like Giovanni Bernard a little bit of a different situation. I mean, we're talking about a guy that started, what, 10 games for the Bengals last year? And I know that was enough to convince everybody and their brother that he's not the guy you want to rely on as your 1A running back. Um, you know, all those weeks that he was projected like 25 points, and you're like, oh, he's going to be my RB1. No. But I could, you know, he was great for a while when he was mixing in with like Jeremy Hill and he was a primary pass catcher and things like that. I I never really have bought into the idea of Leonard Fournette being, I know they called him like a super third down back or, you know, a hefty third down back or something to make it sound fun. I know Fournette's caught passes before. It's not like he can't. Um, Even Jones seemed to get a little bit better last year, but now it's it's like, is Fournette and Jones going to split the first two downs? And then we're going to see Geo Mixon sometimes on third down. And, you know, that then occasionally they're going to use Keyshawn Vaughn. And when they have injuries, it really won't hurt them. So from a fantasy standpoint in dynasty, you know, I still think Keyshawn Vaughn has value, although I'm probably dropping him well out of my top 50 now because there's just no clear path to touches this year. And, you know, we've seen this with Ronald Jones too. I guess I should have known that this was coming because Ronald Jones seemed like his entire career. They've said, oh, we like him a lot. That's why we drafted him. And then you've gotten like two or three other guys, you know, Peyton Barber standing in his way or, or Fournette, the, the fear for me is does does Jones kind of end up getting cycled more to the bench? Does he end up being the, the odd guy out unless there's an injury? It's hard to it's hard to know what they're thinking. It's hard last year when they signed Leonard Fournette, I think we all thought, oh, they're gonna Fournette's gonna take over, but he wasn't really a factor in the regular season. Then he became one when Jones got hurt. For fantasy, it's a nightmare. 
I guess you just pick one and, and have a quiet prayer. I'm avoiding all of them. I mean, I'm with yeah. you again. I just took as it's I, as almost I worse than the Patriots backfield now. It is worse than the Patriots backfield. It's not even. It is worse than the Patriots backfield. Um, you know, we. I just mentioned I got Keyshawn Vaughn in like the 18th round of a startup right now, which I think is okay. I mean, if this news had come out beforehand, I might have waited a round or two because I think I probably could have gotten him even later. Now with the news coming out about Bernard, but I'm with you, and it kind of sucks that we now have to wait till 2022 to possibly see if he can do anything. And I think that's a, you know, you're, you're hoping on the possibly now at this point, because they've really not given him any shot. Doesn't look like they're going to do it this year either. So I'm, I'm avoiding everybody in this backfield. Cause I agree with you on the fact that unless there's an injury of any kind, I don't think, I think it's just going to be extremely muddled. They just want to win. And I mean, I understand it. They're trying to go back to back, repeat Super Bowl champions. They can give two shits about our fantasy teams, but I, I'm, at this point, as much as I've I've been probably one of the bigger Ronald Jones supporters since he came out, and even I'm not I don't want to touch him with the ten foot pole. I'm sticking staying away from Leonard Fournette, Giovanni Bernard, everybody. I'm sure a lot of people are going to start saying, "Oh, well, Gio's going to be you know their James White for Tom Brady." I, I'm I just can't believe any of it right now. I, I don't want anything to do with this backfield. Speaking of Tom Brady and the Patriots, it is official now. I'm I'm staring at a video of. Um, Julian Edelman is tweeted out called Foxborough forever with a chair looks like in the middle of Foxborough. So I imagine it's going, it is official. He is retiring. If you miss the news, he was a cut due to failing a physical, but they said it looked like that was more of a precursor toward him retiring. And, and from everything I'm seeing from this video, it looks like it is official. Unfortunately, Julian Edelman is finishing his career. Seems like the knee just was not going to be able to recover to what it was a couple of years ago. Just your thoughts, really quick, on Julian Edelman retiring. Um, obviously, not uh, not going to be a football player anymore. Well, uh, you know, I was listening to them discuss it on NFL Network as I was driving. It sounds like um, degenerative damage in the knee, which is never what you want to hear. Uh, and at that point in time, you got to figure. He's he's accomplished a lot. It's not like he has a lot to prove, and you got to think about your quality of life. So it would make sense to. I don't, you know, it's a little early for predictions, but I'm guessing you and I are pretty similar in thinking that the Patriots are not exactly the dominant force they were three years ago. Um, so it's not like I, I saw Cam Newton throw last year. I'm still not entirely convinced that it was a great move to re-sign him. Um, the Patriots' offense may be better this year, but they're probably still the third best team in that division right now. Uh, I think they're a long shot for the playoffs. So if you're looking at long-term consequences with your knee, it would make sense to walk away. I think the biggest question, which we debated ever since, since the, since he was Super Bowl MVP is, you know, is Julian Edelman a hall of fame player? He has decent regular season numbers, but not incredible. He has incredible playoff numbers. Again, if you got to go to the playoffs every year for your career, you would have a lot of opportunities. Yep. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting. My gut right now would lean toward no, but you never know. Yeah, it's it's hard to hard to quantify, right? Because I agree with you. His regular season number is not great, but playoffs is where he made his money. And I think you could argue, especially in the Atlanta one, he was kind of the reason. Is that the one that he won the MVP to? I, just, I remember the catch that he made 
uh, where it was like around the three defenders, and he like tipped it to himself with three guys around him right over the ground. I like, thought he won MVP catch. for that for that one against the Rams. Was the Rams one? Maybe yeah, it was, it was the Rams like one. Pretty terrible all the way around. It's like, does somebody have to win MVP? Yeah. But, it, I mean, he obviously I, – I can't remember exactly what the stats are, so I'm probably going to misquote the, these, but I'm out. pretty sure he's – was it second in, in receiving yards and touchdowns in the playoffs? Uh, because, and again, it helps that he's been in it as much as he has been, but still you have to be there and produce. There's been other wide receivers who have made it there as well uh, with the Patriots and have not produced the way that he has. So go ahead. Yeah. So he has a, it looks like playoffs all time has 118 receptions, 1,442 yards and, five TDs. So um, you're talking that that would be a pretty exceptional season. Um, And he did that 19 games, 15 starts. So that's about one regular season's worth uh, going over one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine post seasons. So a pretty impressive run. And that's, you know, his last post season um, really only, only saw you know five targets only caught three balls so he he did most of that over kind of a five year stretch from 2013 to 2018 where they won the super bowl looks like three times in there so i mean dominant and i'm right you or you're right it's gonna be an interesting question and why i say it's hard for me to answer is because I don't know if I want to say it's a soft spot. I just, I like Julian Edelman. I think he's been a phenomenal wide receiver. I've always loved his, like, his moxie, the way he kind of handles himself on the football field. Like, I've not been a big fan of the Patriots because, you know, if you're not a Patriots fan, you hate seeing them succeed as much because it usually comes at the cost of your team. And while the Browns have never really been that good throughout most of the Patriots' run, it's still you. You hated seeing like the same team win the Super Bowl all the time. You wanted to see other teams win it, but there's just something about Edelman I always liked. So, and he was the 2018 Super Bowl MVP. So it was okay. the one against the Rams. Gotcha. So, I think it's going to become an interesting debate. I don't think I've seen a lot of people, and I guess this comes with a lot of Hall of Fame speech or players, like Eli Manning comes to mind when you talk about like. It's either yes, he is, or no, he's not. There's no like middle ground. We're like, well, I could see it, but I also don't think it'd be a bad thing if he wasn't. I I fall in that camp though with Edelman. Like, if he got into the Hall of Fame, would I be like, oh my God, this is outrageous? He doesn't know. I wouldn't. But if he didn't get in, I also wouldn't make the same argument. Oh my God, what the hell? He definitely deserves to be in there. It's just one of those things where if he got in, I think it would be because of the playoffs and what he was able um. to do there. And I wouldn't necessarily have an issue with it because that matters. You you have to be you have to be a, a high end wide receiver well, in that, the playoffs to get there. That was kind of my argument, you know, obviously a big Broncos fan. One of my favorite players of all time is Terrell Davis. And I argued for a long time he should get into the Hall of Fame and was ecstatic when he finally got in. If you looked at his Overall career numbers are not bad. It's just this really like four-year stretch where he was incredible in the regular season and in the postseason. Um, you know, and Edelman kind of has a stretch in there that kind of five or six years. My argument with Terrell Davis was always the guy won Super Bowl MVP. He drugged the Broncos to their first Super Bowl victory, playing that with you know with a migraine, getting getting in there, the incredible game performances he put up. 
it was just kind of a, a tight window. And if you were looking at his overall career stats and things he did over overall seasons compared with other people, maybe it doesn't stand out. He was another one where injuries kind of, you know, cut him short. He tore his ACL in an era where running backs didn't come back from that kind of an injury. So, you know, I could see Edelman getting in. We've seen other players who were who were just very good and weren't what you would consider dominant. I think the the thing that goes against an Edelman or, you know, a Tony Romo when that's going to come up, who put up some more incredible numbers than you realize when he was quarterback of the Cowboys is, is what if, you know, people tend to be drawn to these, you know, you think about Peyton Manning breaking all those records, all the, the big, huge moments. It's a no brainer. You're putting him in the hall of fame, Calvin, Calvin Johnson. He had kind of a short compact career, but some of the freakish things that he did playing on a team, Barry Sanders, same way. Edelman's a guy that just put in work for over a decade and did the little things that that help you to win. But, you know, if you look at his numbers, he had a couple of seasons where he had 100-plus catches. He ends up with 68, 22 yards over his career, which is quite a bit, you know, almost 7,000 yards, 30-something touchdowns. He played on good teams, but he was – one of their premier receivers. Um, so it's possible. I just don't, my, my gut impression was no, but now that I've talked about it, I, I could see him getting in there. The Patriots were so dominant. I think we're waiting to see Tom Brady retire and go into the hall of fame. And then is it going to be, cause I remember as a Broncos fan, we had had like hardly any people into the hall of fame and finally Elway retired and he got put into the hall of fame and it became all this group of people that played with him in kind of those championship eras started to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if we're going to see the same thing with new England. It's possible. I, I, I mean, obviously on the defense, they had enough guys. I would say a couple of guys that should get in and then the offense is kind of hard to think of. I mean, obviously Gronk is a no brainer. But outside of Gronk and Brady, I mean, nobody really comes to mind about someone that would get in. I think Edelman might be, like we said, he's on the cusp. I can't say for sure that he'll get in or not. I mean, I, I, you know, as I believe Dennis would say, it's not the Hall of Fame of of really good. It's it's the Hall of Fame. So, you know, I I, I can't say for sure that he'd get in. So that's what they said that on the the radio when I was driving in um, that was one of the positions that the guy took was it's not the hall of really good. It's, it's the hall of fame. Yeah. I remember Dennis always saying that in the, cause I, when I argue for a uh, Philip rivers, I think, and I've talked about how good he's been and Dennis has been like, he's not, the, it's not the hall yeah, of really good. That's so. another one where we have a few people that have now yeah. looks like retired this, that's going to be an interesting Philip rivers. Another guy has some incredible numbers, but doesn't have, the postseason resume, and maybe it just isn't the guy you think of. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know if you could hear that. One of the web pages I had up just went off in my ear. If, the, if you saw the weird face there. So I apologize. Hopefully that doesn't come through on the podcast. Anyways, uh, so we are uh, talking about our kind of second half of running backs here. We gave our top five. So uh, let's go back over those really quick. Not talk about them, but just kind of relist them. So if you didn't listen to Monday's episode, you know who we've already talked about. For me, it was Najee Harris, Javante Williams, Travis Etienne, Jamar Jefferson, and then I don't remember who I had as five now. You had Gainwell originally as five, but it's okay if you change because I might have changed no, you. I want to keep Gainwell at five. I do like Gainwell's upside. Well, see, my problem is like my four through eight are like all yeah. grouped together. So like landing spot, as much as I don't value landing spot as much as other people, like they're all so close 
for me that landing spot could flip him. But yeah, Gainwell will stay at five for now since I've already talked about him. But the next two guys I'm going to talk about are like right there with Gainwell and Jefferson for me. But who were your top five? So originally when we did it, we had the same top three, obviously. Harris, Williams, ATN. Um, I had Carter. I've moved him down after listening to you and listening to John <laughs> talk about some of the running backs. So, And then I had Jamar Jefferson. I still have Jefferson there. Um, and I moved Gainwell up. The one that, that I popped up is probably one you're going to talk about, which uh, I thought was interesting listening to John talk about Trey Sermon. Yeah. Yeah, so he he's my next one. And my biggest fear with Sermon is obviously he's got the talent. And I'm not just saying that as a Buckeye fan because we saw what he did toward the end of the season as a Buckeye. But the reason he wasn't able to do anything at the beginning of the season was because he was still dealing with an injury. And if you go and look at what he was at at Oklahoma, it was the same thing. He dealt with injuries, and that scares me a lot. He's very talented. You know, John mentioned it on the Thursday episode. I would suggest you guys listen to it if you hadn't. That dude knows his stuff. And he mentioned the three-cone drill and the 40 time, which was really good for Sermon. But that three-cone drill being the big one, because as I've talked about, for me, vision and lateral speed is massive for running backs. And he has it in spades for his size, which is very good for a guy who can move and bounce like that at his size is very good for Trey Sermon. Again, it's just the injuries. He's sitting at six for me. But if he gets that day two draft capital and goes to a good team, like he could jump up to my RB4 easily. I, I don't think there's really much separating him between um, Gainwell and Jamar for me. And I think the biggest thing with those guys and why I might end up putting Gainwell actually at four is because I just think his ability in the receiving game might give him a little bit of a higher floor than the other guys in this group because I think – at worst, he's safe in the fact that if he goes to an offense that will pass him the ball, he's going to have a steady kind of game, I think, where the rest of these guys, like Jamar's a good receiver, but he's not Kenneth Gainwell. Trey Sermon's okay, but he's not Jamar or Gainwell. So I think Gainwell has that little bit of an extra step above them, so to say, because of the receiving game. Uh, but who comes in at six for you? Yeah, I had moves. I moved Sermon up. Um, to six to after we were listening to that I I think when we talked about it last week I told you there was kind of a broad range from four to yeah. ten where I wasn't set on on a lot of the positions I liked what we saw in the national championship game um, you know and some of the the clutch moments and I was uh, very compelled definitely by John's description, especially what he was talking about looking at the feet and the ability to drive through the tackle, you know, hitting those things that, uh, you know, are the things he really looks at at running backs. I still, I'm still impressed with Michael Carter and what he did, but I'm starting to, it feels like I, the other thing that I was looking at is it's starting to feel like, there aren't a lot of people talking about him. Maybe he ends up getting drafted in a good situation. But there are plenty of guys that we thought looked good and had talent in college. If they don't get the draft capital or go to a good situation, then it doesn't really matter. Um, so that was another consideration I took when I, I slid him down. All right, so who comes in at seven for you? So that's where I actually dropped him back down now. That's Carter. where I dropped Carter back down. Okay, And then right after that, the one that I struggle with the most is probably Chuba Hubbard because 2019, that season was so incredible. And then last year, I know it's hard because we've talked about all the challenges that 2020 presented, 
but it felt like a pretty tremendous fall off. And he's another guy that I feel like it's not went from being talked about a lot to not talked about hardly at all, which makes me nervous when you go into to a draft situation. Yeah. So uh, Carter actually comes in at seven here for me as well. And I think a lot of it is just what, I just don't think he's that great of a runner. Uh, I think that he's okay, but he's not. I know a lot of people talk about he produced just like Javante Williams did, but he's just, if you watch him, he doesn't run the way that Javante Williams does. And I don't think he's quite as good at that, but he is a phenomenal receiver. The problem is he's not as good as Gainwell, who I think is going to come out as like the number one receiving back in this class. Carter is a guy, though, that I could see a team falling in love with him and and just taking him and him getting that draft capital and, and being a guy. I don't think he's a bad back. I just I'm not as sold on his ceiling as I am on on the guys I have ahead of him. Again, I'm with you like that. After those top three, like this next group for me through eight, which I'll just say my eight's Khalil Herbert. He's the last guy of this second tier. I think all these guys have NFL value, but I don't know how much of it it is. Like I'm highest on Jamar, and maybe some of that is because I just I think he's a phenomenal prospect from what I saw his freshman year and then this last year on tape. Uh, and I think he could be an RB too, but like would it surprise me if it ends up being Kenneth Gainwell is the next out of this best group? No. Khalil Herbert, no. Trey Sermon, no. Michael Carter, no. Like these guys are all, as I mentioned, they're they're very close. And I think, unfortunately, as much as I hate to be a little bit landing spot dependent with some guys, like these next four, I think really could separate themselves based on their landing spots. Yeah, and that's what I thought was compelling. You know, when we asked John, like in terms of draft, what are you thinking? He said, if I don't get one of the top three, I'm just waiting and seeing which one of the other ones falls to me in the third. And it feels like it's that that kind of draft. So if you're really, if you, you know, if you really are running back desperate, you, I guess you have to hope that Harris, Williams, and Etienne go to decent spot, and that you have a high enough pick that you can grab them. And it's it's hard to get a feel totally, I guess, until we see landing spots where things are going to shake out in, um, you know, in rookie drafts because I. I I don't know how you feel, but I'm imagining Kyle Pitts is going to go in all formats in top five, which, you know, could end up with one of those guys dropping down. It'll be interesting to see where some of these receivers land and how that impacts how people feel and fall in love with them as well. Yeah, Pitts is going to be an interesting case study. Like I know for sure in my main home league, he's going at five. Because I have I have pick one and pick six. I traded for one the my Zeke trade earlier this offseason. and then I had pick I have pick six, and I was talking to different people because my hope was that he'd fall to six because I have George Kittle and Jonu Smith, and it, my the rest of my team is well maybe not now that I traded away Zeke. I kind of lost some of my running back uh, depth, although I think Najee is going to fill in perfectly fine there. But like I have Barkley, Chubb. Um, who else do I have there? I, I have like a couple middling RB, like lower guys. And then obviously I'm going to add Najee now I'm losing Zeke. I've got uh, Galladay, Rager, Adams. Um, who am I forgetting? There's another really big name wide receiver that I'm forgetting. Odell. Man, there's another top wide receiver. I can't remember. But I'm like, I've got a very good squad. I just got crushed with injuries this year and it did not work out. Josh Allen, Baker at my quarterbacks and then killed Johnny Smith. I was like, okay, well, I want to shore up that tight end position. I know I'm taking Najee at one. 
grab Pitts at six, and then I actually have pick 12 as well. I was like, I'll just grab the best wide receiver on the way back. But now that I know Pitts probably is going to go before me, at this point I also have three second-round picks. I'm like, I'll just wait and take Brevin Jordan or Pat Frymuth, whichever falls, which I think is probably the better strategy because as much as I love Pitts, like, that's early to take him. And, I mean, I I do have him, I think, is my tight end four or five right now. I've got, I think, four. I've got Hawkinson, Kittle, and uh, Kelsey over him, and that's it. So, I mean, I believe in Pitts. I think he's going to be amazing, but. I'd rather have one of those wide receivers because I don't think the drop-off between him and Brevin Jordan and, and Pat Frymuth is that big of a deal. But, yeah, I, it's going to be interesting with Pitts. And I'm, I'm with you, and as John said uh, Thursday with the running back thing, I, I agree with that. He, he's a guy that I think is going to be – I'm taking the lowest guy. And for me, that's I was going to bring it up, but then we kind of naturally worked our way into talking about Khalil Herbert because he, he kind of liked him. We talked about him Thursday. He's the guy that I see being drafted the latest. And he's a guy I think is a jack of all trades. Like he's good at, he's a, I forgot how, how's the thing go? Good at all, but master of none or however that saying goes. Like he's, he's very good. He's a good receiver, good runner, but he's not like elite at either one of those. I think if he goes to a good team, he can be a solid producer. He's a guy that I think, you know, likely probably won't get to do much unless there's an injury, but I think if there's an injury, he can fill in just well enough to produce for you. But he's a guy that I would be willing to take uh, toward the end of, end of my drafts. Uh, You got Kylan Hill out of Mississippi state. Who's a guy, really good receiver. We saw that that last year before he opted out decent runner as well. There's a lot of people who are really high on Kylan Hill, I'm not one of them. I mean, I have him in my top 12, but he's not a guy that I really am that sold on. And then the big name also is is Elijah Mitchell out of UL, uh, who obviously had the massive pro day. Now everybody is kind of like all of a sudden jumping on board with him. I know uh, Ray Garvin, you can follow at Ray GQ. He was was the one who's been touting Mitchell way before the pro day uh, as a guy to watch out for. And the pro day has really jumped him up into the spotlight. Uh, he's another guy like Kylan, uh, not Kylan Hill, I'm sorry, Khalil Herbert, who's going really late drafts that I think, you know, could be a really decent grab. Now that might change because everybody knows about the pro day. And if he gets any kind of decent draft capital, I'm sure someone will reach for him in like the second or third, especially those, everybody's probably in one of those leagues, at least where running backs just go way quicker than usual because everybody wants those running backs. So I can see Mitchell possibly going in like late second, early third of rookie drafts. Uh, but if he falls into like the late third, early fourth, I'd definitely take him. You know, that's really it for me though. Like Chuba Hubbard, I'm with you. He's, interesting don't know if he'll ever be much at the nfl like i just i'm not sold on him you know i know you've talked about listening to our draft profile shows with debbie debate and felix loves Ramondre stevenson it's just yeah. not it for me not not a fan i don't think he's gonna be much more than like a goal line back to to uh you know well, and you'd have to end up in the right situation with the right yeah. opportunity for a lot of these guys and that's that's probably the the scarier thing yeah you know so especially you know, you're looking at pro teams. We know Pittsburgh needs somebody, and it's probably going to go. I had long speculated Arizona might take somebody, but now it sounds like they're they brought James in James Conner. Yeah. So, you know, where are the openings where people can have it have a chance to make an impact? You know, even thinking about this last year, we were very excited. Sean Vaughn was going going up high. It looked like a great opportunity. Never materialized. A.J. Dillon, we never really saw a ton get going. There's a whole bunch of guys that are still kind of waiting in the wings. So 
I'm sure there'll be one or two. There's there's going to be a James Robinson somewhere in here who is a guy that needed a chance in the right situation. It's it it's going to take some luck to find him probably. Yeah, I think, um, and I'm pretty sure Ray is the one who has said this, and I would agree with him. I think if there's going to be a James Robinson in this class, it's going to be Elijah Mitchell. I, I think he's the one that if I don't know if he'll go undrafted, but maybe like sixth, seventh round that ends up being something. Um, you know, we'll see who goes undrafted. I mean, again, one, uh, I don't think we'll be live Saturday, but I'll definitely tweet out and then we'll obviously be live Monday to talk about it. There's a running back that, you know, sticks out to me that goes undrafted. We can definitely talk about him. But I think if you're looking for a guy who's going to possibly not get drafted high, that could end up producing for me. I, I agree that it's probably going to be Elijah Mitchell. So yeah. any other running backs you want to talk about, or should we go, go ahead and jump into this mock draft? No, I, I, I think we've delayed it enough. Mock draft, right. uh, three-point three final. Yeah, 3.0, final mock draft of our show. We were, we're going to try and at least do two rounds, which I think is possible. It's the 12th, so we've got, you know, yeah. 17 days. We should, we should be perfectly fine to get through this in 17 days. Um, so we're going to try and get through 26 picks. Might shorten that up a little bit because we definitely want to obviously talk uh, cap. And uh, I keep saying cap. Falcon and Winter Soldier, probably because of the massive capish thing that happens in the show. But um, we definitely want to talk about that, so I want to save time. So we'll just kind of go through, and if, if we can't get through all 26, we'll pick it up on Thursday with Dennis. But number one, obviously, again, Jacksonville. I'm sorry. I don't believe. I don't know if you saw this whole Still thing. Still should be uh, Trevor Lawrence. Um, someone's reporting. I won't say who, but uh, reporting that there's rumors that Zach Wilson's actually the one at one. I don't believe that for a second. If that happens, I'll have a heart attack live on, on air. Not happening. Trevor Lawrence is going number one. I'm sorry. There's just, I don't see any shot. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure that we agreed. So next up. We can't pick Zach Wilson today. If I was going to pick anyone, you could talk me into taking a swing at Justin Fields. It would be way out of left field if it's Zach Wilson. But if if that happens, we're off to the races on the draft. Yeah. So, again, I, I just want to point this out so it's on the record. If I was the Jets, we obviously believe they're taking a quarterback here. They traded away Sam Darnold. Uh, you know, the smoke has been obviously here for a while that they were taking a quarterback. Even when we did our first one, we had him taking Penny Sewell because we wanted them to build around Sam Darnold because we didn't think it was the end of him. Then they traded him like a week and a half later to Carolina. So, clearly, we believe they're going quarterback. I would be taking Justin Fields here, but I am not the New York Jets. They don't care two shits about what I think. We all believe they're taking Zach Wilson. Just makes sense to go yeah. Zach Wilson here. So he is going to three to me is where the draft starts because we've seen a lot of smoke around Mac Jones and Trey Lance with Justin Fields not being named one bit. Then there was a tweet that went out by some San Francisco 49ers uh, beat writers and everything talking about like how secretive John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have been the past couple years with the drafts. And they kept saying, you know, like, I don't understand why people think they know what they're going to do now when nobody has gotten their pick right the past couple years. So it's hard not to lean Mac Jones because of how much we've heard. I still think Justin Fields is the guy here. I just, as I said, when the trade happened, I don't know why you trade up from 12 and take Mac Jones when you likely could have gotten him at 12 or at worst you trade up to seven, eight. I just don't believe Atlanta's taking him at four. And 
I mean, I forgot who's at five. Uh, I don't, you know, Bengals aren't taking a five. There's a, seven would be maybe the next spot that you could have seen Mac Jones going. So I just don't believe it. But that being said, there's a lot of smoke around it. So what are your thoughts? Who should we put in on the board here for the 49ers? I mean, I don't know if I think it's the right choice, but I, I do think they're taking Mac Jones now. Okay. I just want it on the record that I think they should they're taking Justin Fields. I don't believe but, in the smoke, but we'll put I mean, I think it's it's one of those two. I don't think it's Trey Lance. Some people have tried to make the case. I it's I feel like it's one of those two. If it was you and me, I, I still think Justin Fields is better prospect but i've started thinking about the way that they play football and what they're looking for and there is something about it that makes more sense yeah i mean i don't think mac jones is a bad prospect that's the thing i, I sent a message to austin today that because austin of our group at camps to canton is the lowest on mac jones he just doesn't think he's going to be an nfl quarterback and my argument is and I hate saying this because then people are going to immediately comp him to the player I'm talking about. And I don't think he's this player, but he has a lot of Joe Burrow in him outside of the legs. He's a great at making anticipate anticipation throws. He reads the field very well. He's very smart when it comes to that. Everybody talks about he's got a very high football IQ. Now, again, I don't, I've never met the dude. I couldn't even sit down and draw a play on a whiteboard for you. So I don't know if he'd be doing it right anyways. I can only go based off what I read. But everything I've read talks about how he has got an immense football IQ. That's what made Joe Burrow so successful. Joe Burrow doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. People may not forget. People may forget that. Mac Jones is right there on that same level. Like he's got a decent arm, but it's not going to blow the world away. But it's because of the anticipation throws that he makes in his brain, which is what Brady's done, Manning's done. I'm not trying to compare either one of those guys to those guys, but. Those quarterbacks succeed because they're making throws before the play even opens and and it's and completing. And so I'm with you. That might be what Kyle Shanahan wants. I'm not debating that again. I I just don't think you trade up to three to get him. But if that's their guy, again, I've said it on here and I'll say it again. I trust Kyle Shanahan. The dude has done nothing outside of not running the ball on third and one in the Super Bowl to end up winning the Super Bowl. Has done anything wrong, in my opinion. So I, I, I would, we're going to put Mac Jones down here. I would not be floored if they end up taking Justin Fields. You know, the only reason Trey Lance makes some sense to me is because of what we've talked about where Jimmy G, they know they've already said they're likely keeping him this year. And we all think Trey Lance has to sit a year. So maybe it's one of those things where they let Jimmy G play out the year. They get Trey Lance in there. He gets a full year to learn the offense practice every single day. And then they kind of let him rip next year but I wouldn't be surprised if he's not ever really into this discussion. He, he's definitely the biggest project, I think, out of all these guys because of him playing at the FCS and, and really not getting to play at all this last year. So then that puts Atlanta on the board here. What makes Atlanta interesting is last week there was talks about them trading out because Arthur Smith and the general manager did not agree on where they should go. Arthur Smith believes Matt Ryan is their quarterback. The, their general manager believes they need to draft a quarterback. And then Saturday, news story came out that they are now aligned to what they need to do with that pick, but didn't say who they aligned with. Did they align with Arthur Smith's thinking or the general manager's thinking? So they're aligned now, and they know what they're doing. We don't know what they're doing. I guess it really comes down to what you believe. Again, we can't do trades. I honestly think this is probably they trade out of this pick when it's all said and done. I think Atlanta moves. I don't think 
It, you know what? I, I don't think they do because I don't think there's a team that's willing to give them something close to what Miami got for the third pick. And in which case you, you can't sell it that, that short when you're up in this position, especially if Mac Jones goes to San Francisco, I think they take Justin Fields. We have not raving, Bob. We're we're getting give it give us like ten more minutes, and we will definitely jump into this discussion. It is something we are very excited about talking about. We're trying to get through some of our mock draft, and we will definitely talk about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So, yeah. So, okay. With, with us no, with us not being able to trade, though, where do you think Atlanta goes here? Justin Fields. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to stick with that as well. I mean, we talked about it before. You know, again, it seems like they don't think he's their quarterback of the future, but I I just don't see how you pass on a talent like Justin Fields. I mean, Which, Matt, right? Yeah. I, I just No, no, I'm saying like it I, looks I, I like it's easier to get out from under Matt Ryan. If you look at their their division, you know, it's quite possible Atlanta is the fourth best team in that division yeah. right now. I think you know, if they have another middling season and you get towards the end, that's a great time to put out somebody else and, and start looking to the future. I think in the next couple of years, Ryan and Julio Jones will be out of there. And that's why I think it, you don't – hopefully you're not in top five very often. Yeah. And I they went over the history of top five picks for Atlanta. And usually when they end up down there, that's – we need to start looking toward the future and that's probably the best thing to do. And that's the easiest way to get back competitive and rehab your cap is to start saving money on some of these franchise position players. So while I was saying that, I don't know if they think Justin Fields is, is a, I don't, I shouldn't say franchise quarterback, maybe not their quarterbacks. The fact that they were already willing to trade out of it. And maybe it's because they do think trash, Justin Fields is a franchise quarterback and they know San Francisco is taking him. You know, we don't know. We really don't know what San Francisco is doing. So they just seem so willing to trade out of it. I was like, okay, well clearly they must not love Justin Fields as much as we thought they did. Cause it feels like the perfect storyline, right? Kid from Georgia going back home, become the franchise quarterback, but we'll see. I, I think it would be a great fit for them. I know Colin uh, is a massive Falcons fan and he would love to see that. I, he was talking on his podcast campus to Canton that if they don't take, uh, Justin Fields there, he's likely going to cry live on stream. So that'll be fun to watch, but it'll, it's going to be interesting to see what they do, which in all honesty works perfectly for the Cincinnati Bengals as then Penny Sewell falls to them. I don't care what all these other people are saying about him not having the wingspan that he needs. He's a left tackle. He is a future left tackle. I don't, I'm not going to say he's like Joe Thomas generational, but Penny Sewell is going to be what's going on, Dennis. He's going to be a very good left tackle. So I think Penny Sewell is the fit here. Do you agree with that? I do not. I think so they're I'm taking, taking Kyle Pitts. Pitts. I think Can't they're 100% taking Kyle Pitts. They do nah, not. They do not perceive the offensive line to be the problem that we do. They should be paying attention to keeping Joe Burrow upright. That is not what anyone is seeing Cincinnati look for. Dennis, who's Cincinnati taking? If you're still watching, I don't know if you just dropped in to say hi and then dropped out. It's taking Sewell or Pitts because now we're now we're torn. Maybe we should go back to back so then we can't argue picks. It may, may be easier that way. Might get through, might get through more of them that way. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't do it. I can't do it. Oh. I mean, it's just the difference between what what's 
what they should do and what they're going to do. And there's been a lot of arguments that the the drop-off between Penesul and the fifth or sixth best tackle is not as far as the drop-off between Kyle Pitts. People are talking about him as a generational changing player, putting him outside of T. Higgins with with Boyd in the slot. I'm very convinced that they're they're doing something like that. I don't you know, the other possibility is Jamar Chase reuniting well, him with with uh, Joe Burrow, Burrow, but I just yes. think they're going Pitts. I'll put I'll put Pitts in there, but I don't believe that one bit. I think if, if Sewell falls to them, they're taking Sewell. So that puts Miami on the clock here, and I think we've already done this before, and I think we should just stay with it, Jalen Waddle. Uh, I think he, yeah. he fits perfectly in there with the weapon that he is. Uh, fits perfectly into that offense. So then that gets us to the Detroit Lions. Now, remember in the last, I think literally the both mock drafts before this, we've had them taking Trey Lance. I think we stay there. Yep. All right. So then we Trey Lance, now Penny Sewell falling big time. All right. That puts Carolina on the board. Sewell's got to go here, right? Or you have someone different. I have Rashawn Slater. My goodness, right, we're going to start switching picks to make this easier. So, so I mean, so I, I, I think they take a tackle. So if you like Penny Sewell, it just seems like Rashawn Slater has bounced up to be. Well, see, I've heard that. So Greg Cosell, who I, I respect, is probably like one of the original film grinders. Very, very good at what he does. He said that he believes Christian Barrison is actually the best tackle in this draft. So that's where, like, it's so hard to gauge because I'm going to be honest. I don't know who makes or doesn't make a good offensive tackle. Like I'm going to, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to go based on what other people are saying. Never played offensive tackle. You know, I can watch film and say that I think a guy's doing good and I could be dead wrong. Cause I don't always know what I'm looking for. I'm not going to pretend like I'm some mastermind scouting the offensive tackle position. I, I would be lying to you if I said that. So I go based on what other people say. I think it's Sewell. I've just based on what I've heard other people. So I'll do, I'm going to, I'll do the pick here because that gives you the next pick, which I'm going to let you do. So we're going to put Sewell here to Carolina, which puts your Denver Broncos on the clock. Just asking, because we brought this up on Thursday. If Justin Fields was still on the board here, do you think the Broncos would take him? Um, Yeah. If he's still on the board, I just don't see him dropping this far. So I would still stick. And it seemed like John and I were of the same mind yeah. that it would take Micah Parsons. I think I don't think they would take Trey Lance. I think if Justin Fields was there, you you take a shot. Yeah, I mean, if Justin Fields again, I, I'd love it because I'm, my family lives there. I would be able to go see some games and go ahead. Well, I'm very interested. So big story came out. Um, today that everyone knows Denver made an offer for Matthew Stafford. It came out today that they offered 109 and a second round pick and Detroit said they wanted Drew Locke included and Denver said, no, thanks. We're not going to make a trade. That, that gave me like a moment of like, huh? So it seems like they're interested in getting somebody but they haven't given up yet i guess because i don't know why yeah if you were completely giving up and and going which you think if you're making an offer for stafford you're kind of going in a different direction 
Yeah, so, you're not bringing him into backup Drew Locks, so I, I don't understand that at all. Would you have made that other... trade? Mm. No, because I'm going to be honest with you. I, I didn't like the monetary. I didn't like the fight. I don't like the financials, which is why I'm a hundred percent opposed to them trading for Teddy Bridgewater. I don't want to owe eighteen million dollars yeah. to a guy that managed fifteen touchdown passes in fifteen games with DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and Curtis Samuel. By I, another one of their beat writers said the reason Denver has, if there was a quarterback they actually were dead set on, they would have tried to make some kind of move up. You know, when Atlanta, that's where there was a lot of talk about moving up for Atlanta. I'm not wild about giving up three years of draft picks. Now, if a Justin Fields falls, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Personally, I've sort of been leaning toward, I'd rather in the third round, take Kellen Mond. Oh, God, no, see what do happens. Yourself, man. Don't do that to yourself, Matt. All right. So because we're almost hitting the 50-minute mark, let's we're going to try and get through 16, so half the first round. I feel like that that's fair because I definitely want to yep. jump into what we saw on Friday. So that puts me up with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, we've talked about it before. They need cornerback. It comes down to Sartain and J.C. Horn. I'm taking Horn because I think he's the best. I, I think he's just a tad bit better than Sertan. Now, would I be surprised if Kyle Pitts here and the Cowboys take Pitts? No, I wouldn't because Jerry Jones is an idiot, but they need defensive help. I'm going I'm going Horn here for the Cowboys. That puts you up with the Giants. Biggest needs, edge rusher, cornerback, linebacker, offensive tackle. Where are you going with the Giants? I'm going to take Quiddy Pay. All right. Let's see if I can find him. All right. So Quiddy Pay off the board to the Giants there helps out with their edge rush need, which is considered their biggest need, which puts the Eagles up at 12 here. Wide receiver, tight end, cornerback. Obviously, the easy smash pick here is Jamar Chase. I believe we had Pitts going here in the past. And then we also had a wide receiver, I think, at 2.0. Because I'm pretty sure it was we did. Jamar stick- Chase in 2.0. Okay. Yeah, as I said, I'm pretty sure we actually stuck with uh, Pitts going to Cincinnati in 2.0. So Jamar Chase to the Eagles here at 12, which then puts the Los Angeles Chargers on the board. Tackle, edge, safety, cornerback, biggest needs. Who do you have the Chargers taking? Um, I think they'll take Rashawn Slater. All right. He, Rashawn Slater. he drops down there. Yeah. And the best offensive tackle on the board there with, with again, Christian Darisol. It seems like those three, Darisol, uh, Slater, and Sewell have kind of been back and forth there as, as the best guys. So they get their need. Puts the Vikings up on the board. Linebacker, safety, cornerback. I think they'll take Sertan. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, he's the best player on the board. And the only other person yeah. maybe would be Tucker for me at a USC, the the inside linebacker or no inside offensive lineman. I think actually, interior they just can't offensive cover line. the broadside of a barn. I'm thinking about those games against like yeah, that yeah. I mean, they need they need, they need the offensive line help to be. I'm with you. If you can get a guy like Sertain there, that you're good. I mean, I don't know if he can. I still don't know if he can cover Adams, but he's a lot better than what they have. Then that puts the Patriots up on the board for you. Quarterback, wide receiver, linebacker. Where are you going with the Pats? I'm going with Devonta Smith. Interesting. Sucks for Devonta Smith, but good for the Patriots, I guess. All right, so we're actually moving a little bit quicker. Right, let's, let's go through 20. We'll see yeah, if we, we can get 20 really get quick. Arizona, best up on the board. Running back, cornerback, and then offensive line as well. Uh, I don't think they'd go running back here. I don't love any of the cornerbacks on the board either. I mean, 
Newsom. Well, what's his name still on the board, right? Caleb Why can't Farley. I? Think? <clears throat> I think I go Farley here. It'd be between yeah. him and Tucker, just like it was earlier. But Farley, I know they they said that he's bouncing back from the injury perfectly fine. Again, he's right up there, I think, with with Sertan. And the horn for me, he's third on that list, but he's still one of the best cornerbacks in the draft. So I'll, I'll go Farley there for the Cardinals, which puts you on the clock here with the Raiders. Offensive tackle, linebacker, interior, offensive line, biggest needs. Who are you taking for the Raiders? Um, I think I'm going to switch up and say Christian Derrissaw because That's their offensive name. line has been a joke right now. Yeah. Yeah, again, and as I just mentioned, a guy that I, I really respect in and Greg Cosell says that he believes he's the best offensive tackle in the draft. So if you're getting what some people think is the best offensive tackle in the draft at pick 17, that is not bad at all. Although, that puts knowing my, John Gruden, they'll probably just take yeah, Najee Harris. Gonna take, yeah, as I say, they're going to take Najee. I hope, fuck, I hope not, because I've traded a lot to move up in drafts to get Najee. Hopefully they take Travis Etienne. He loves those fast guys, right? So let's hope he goes Travis Etienne and doesn't screw me over with Najee. All right, so that puts uh, Miami up on the board. Edge rusher, running back, tight end, biggest needs. I'm going Aziz. I don't know how to say his last name. Ojalari. I know he's out of Georgia edge rusher. I think he's a little bit better than a couple of the other guys on the board here. And Jason, uh, we and Jalen Phillips. So give me Aziz going to Miami to fill that edge rushing role. That puts you up with Washington offensive tackle linebacker and safety. Who you picking? So read their positions again. Offensive. Okay, let me pull the sheet back up. Offensive tackle. Uh, the top five needs says offensive tackle, linebacker, safety, cornerback, and wide receiver. In that order. So we've taken three tackles. Yeah. So like I according mean, it does to seem the, like they're off. I probably am taking Tevin Jenkins. Then. That's what I was about to say. He's the best on there. So okay, Tevin Jenkins had an Oklahoma State offensive tackle help boost that offensive line. That puts the Bears up on the board. Biggest needs: quarterback, offensive tackle, wide receiver, cornerback. At this point, I think you just go Greg Newsom. I mean, I like Bateman. I don't know if they'd go Bateman here. I, I mean. That's who I had them taking is Rashad. Did Bateman. you? Yeah. Uh, let's go with Bateman. Now, I love Bateman. I, I mean, he's up there as one of the best wide receivers in this class for me. You know, I, obviously, if I think if Jenkins were to fall into him here, they probably go Jenkins because they need that offensive tackle help. You know, cornerback, you know, Greg Newsom out of Northwestern's here. Not sure that, you know, they would take him cornerback. I think there's a lot of good guys in this range. So give me Rashad Bateman. I think he fits perfectly on the other side of. Uh, of Allen Robinson, which then puts the Colts on the board for you. Offensive tackle, cornerback, wide receiver, interior defensive line as their biggest needs. Who are you picking for the Colts? I took Rondale Moore. I'd hate that for Rondale Moore, but that is a good pick. Rondale Moore. Uh, just because I think he's like a Paris, well, a little bit more explosive version of Paris Campbell. I'd, I'd love to see Rondell Moore go somewhere else, but I don't well, get I just, a choice in that if that's who they pick. I so. just, I just felt like they aren't going to go with another, you know, because they got Pittman last year, and I still yeah. think wide receiver is, and I get it. 
you know, we still hope Paris Campbell develops into something. He just doesn't seem like he can stay on the field. Yeah. Well, well, I should say, well, no, it is kind of Rondell's issue, too. He's had injuries kind of screw up. Well, his, maybe one of them. All, three, all three seasons that he's been in in college. All right. So that puts Tennessee on the board. Cornerback, wide receiver, offensive tackle, safety. I will put uh, Newsom here. He is the next best guy. I think that it's not really a reach here at this point. They need a cornerback. Uh, they got rid of Malcolm Butler. Uh, I think everybody really from that secondary. So they need secondary help bad. So give me Greg Newsom out of Northwestern for the Titans. That puts the Jets up again. They obviously got their quarterback need filled at pick two. So their biggest needs now, edge rusher, cornerback, wide receiver, tight end. Who are you picking for the Jets? If they were smart, they'd take an offensive lineman at this point in time because they probably should have taken that first. Best best available, you're looking at interior offensive linemen in – Elijah Tucker out of USC and who is the other guy I have on here? Jason. Oh, yeah. again, or no, I'm sorry. Landon Dickerson out of Alabama, who a lot of people really love. And that's, I had guessed Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, okay. Going there. Uh, just because I, I just think they've got to do. Oh yeah. Something. So this is when the draft is going to get very interesting in my opinion, because the Steelers, their biggest needs, according to multiple sites, is actually cornerback, offensive tackle, and then running back. A lot of people mm-hmm. are expecting them to go running back in the first round. I don't think they're going to. I think that they are perfectly fine with, unfortunately, the guys they have, and I think that they're going to grab a guy later in the draft. I do think they just always seem to go defense in these drafts early on. I don't think they go running back here. Unfortunately, there's not really a good cornerback up here that I think that they might go. So I Samuel. I mean, it's a little bit of a reach. Yeah, I mean, well, I've got him as my second. So I've got Eric Stokes out of Georgia as my next guy, and then Asante Samuel. So I'll go Samuel. I don't think he's bad. He he definitely has some love. I I think they definitely go defense. I don't think they're going to go running back like many people do. So we'll give him Asante Samuel Jr. out of Florida State, which then puts Jacksonville on the clock. They need offensive tackles, wide receivers, safety. Uh, there's a, obviously a very good safety, in my opinion, on the board here. I don't know if that's who you're going to have them taking. Who would you have them go? I have originally – thought about them going for a defensive end, like a pass, a pass rusher, but I could see them, which safety are you? Th- uh, so the biggest one for me is, is, is Trevin. Yeah. At a yeah, TCU. Trevin. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I could see that they, I mean, they need impact players pretty much everywhere. Yeah. So you want to so put we'll Trevin in? Tre- yep. Okay. So uh, Mo, I don't know. I'm gonna butcher this. It's German too. You think I'd be able to say it? But Mo, Mo like Rig out of Murray. TCU, yeah. yeah, out of TCU, which then gets us to the last pick, which files perfectly with me taking the pick here. So <clears throat> the Cleveland Browns with the 26 pick, biggest needs: edge rusher, interior defensive line, wide receiver, and cornerback. What makes this hard for me, and then linebacker is. There's a lot of talk that they brought. They're bringing in Jadavian Clowney in today, and if they sign Clowney, that's going to change their need. They don't need an edge rusher because I would take Jalen Phillips here out of Miami. 
but I kind of think that they're getting, there doesn't seem to be anybody else who's really pushing for Clowney the way that the Browns are. So I kind of think that's going to happen, which then puts us to linebacker, which I think is their biggest need. A lot of sites have it as interior defensive line and then wide receiver. I just don't think they take a wide receiver in the first round. They've got, Picks in the second round. This class is really deep at wide receiver. I think them. I don't think they're trading Odell, which means you still have Odell Landry and Higgins there. I think Donovan People Jones is a very good wide receiver, so they can get a guy in the second round. I think. So it comes down to Jeremiah um, Awusu out of Notre Dame, who I think is really good, and Xavier Collins out of Tulsa. I'm going to go Jeremiah Awusu because I think he's just a tad bit better pass coverage linebacker than Xavier Collins is, but I really like Collins out of Tulsa. Would not be surprised if that's the pick because of he's a little bit faster, I think. Really good run defender, and in the and in AFC North, that's kind of what you need, right? You need to be able to stop the run uh, with with the especially with the guys you have up there with Pittsburgh, possibly moving more toward the run. We know what Baltimore does. Since he might be a little bit more pass heavy than the other two, but I'm going to give them Jeremiah Owusu out of Notre Dame. So that's our top 26. We're going to stop it there. We'll pick this up again on Thursday. We'll recap the top 26 picks on Thursday. We'll get Dennis in here to start making some of these other picks. So let's get into it. We've got people waiting. I've been tuning in for like the past 20 minutes, trying to figure out what's going on with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Let's save the major part for the end, because that was the end of it. We'll end it with that. Really good action, really good storyline too. There in episode four, with some of the stuff that that works out with uh, is it? I always forget what her name is. Is it Kayla? Kylie? Kylie? Um, yeah, hold on. I actually put it in there. Carla. Carly. Carly. I'm sorry. I guess I could have looked at the show sheet. Carly Morgenthau. I remember the well, last. We name both have this. Name. We both have this. <laughs> I remember it's a girl that starts with the K. I copied yeah. it in there somewhere for us. Uh, so very interesting fight scenes with her, with the with the group. Uh, very interesting story, I think, too, the way that it's kind of weaved in there. But what were your overall thoughts on episode four and how it played out? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um, you know, we pick up right where we left off with, uh, you know, Bucky talking to uh, to the people that are tracking Zemo. Um, you know, we get a little bit more of his training and his time in Wakanda. Um, you know, some of his connection there, which, which is a little bit interesting uh, to go through, you know, and then they start putting their plan into motion. You see them clashing once again with Battlestar and John Walker. Um, and, you know, things really spiral out of control. That, in the third episode, we see Carly blow up that building. Seem like a real kind of dark, dark turn. You see her a little bit in a different light at that funeral um, and in her conversations with Sam. Uh, I think they've done a really good job of showing that it's, you know, it's not totally black and white. There are shades of gray. There are depth to all these situations. Not to excuse, obviously, the horrific thing she did, but I thought her back and forth with Sam. It seems like they're getting to kind of an interesting place. And then of course, you know, Walker Bussin won't wait is, is impatient. Doesn't really have maybe the temperament for this kind of a mission. Yeah. Which leads to obviously the big fight scene kind of chase scene with all of them, which then leads to Zemo 
finding the super soldier serum. He smashes what he thinks is all of it before he gets knocked out by John Walker, who then grabs one last vial, which you believe he's going to end up taking. You don't ever see him take it, at least at the time, until obviously the end, which we'll save we'll save that for that. I agree. Very interesting with what happens with Carly and, and Sam and Bucky. It was really, I thought, a really interesting dynamic with Carly and Sam when they were in there talking. Really kind of makes you want to, to root for Carly a little bit. So Carly, to me, is kind of going against her own ideals. Once you kill people, you're no better than the people you claim to be fighting, which I don't disagree with. I think that's what Sam is kind of hinting at toward her when they have their discussion is like, there's ways to go about what you're doing and you're not doing it the right way. Right. Like that's kind of what, he's which is, at. which is interestingly enough, probably what makes her and John Walker mirrors of each other. Yes. They're on, they're on different sides, but they're, and they both talk a good and noble game, but their actions don't really seem to completely reflect the ideals that they claim to be representing. And I think that's what, has set them at, you know, that's why they're interesting as foils. Yeah. Yeah. So then we see <clears throat> Carly reaches out to Sam's sister, sets up a meeting. Uh, we know obviously that at this point, uh, John and I don't know Battlestar's real name in the show. I know his soup, his, yeah. his name, Battlestar, but they have a little meeting where they talk about it and they both openly admit, I'll ask you if you had the opportunity to take the super soldier serum, would you take it, Matt? No, no, it's a very interesting discussion. I I would not take it either, but I, I see the allure of taking it from their side, at least because while I know you have not been a big fan of the John Walker character, I, I see him as a, tragic character his name is lamar thank you Ra thank you raving bob uh so lamar and john are having that talk in the food court they get the picture and and uh they both talk about they would both take it and uh zemo asks sam that sam immediately says no as well which i would lean that way sounds like matt you would as well raving bob if you'd like yep. to chime in would you take the super soldier serum but they uh they lean toward not taking it um but i get it and, and the fact that I've said from the beginning, he's been set up as a very tragic character. He, I think, wants to be this best version of Captain America that he can, and it's just not in the cards for him, and I don't think he sees that. And I think that's why he takes the yeah. Super Soldier Serum, because he wants uh, to prove that he is that, and, and I just, as we clearly see, he's not. Worse than that, I think it's about your, your motivations. Nothing, you know the great line from Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. And I think that's something we saw um, Steve Rogers wrestle with a lot as Captain America. It's something we saw Tony Stark wrestle with a lot as Iron Man. The motivation for why John Walker takes the super soldier serum is part of his root problem. It's not, I you know, he may be trying to convince himself it's so that he can be this kind of noble freedom fighter, but you have seen time and again, especially in that episode, it's because he feels powerless and he wants to, he wants to slap back, uh, you know, at the guards from Wakanda at Carly Morgenthau at Bucky. I mean, he, he basically, you know, he challenges almost everyone in this thing. He's challenged to freaking fight. That's, the wrong motivation and that's what is sort of the difference between a hero who can maybe balance these things and 
somebody who goes down the path to a villain. I think after this episode, we we clearly see John Walker. It's not that he's unlikable; he's actually a villain. Yeah, he. We see what I guess I don't want to say his real motivations are, but I guess maybe we see who he really is. And I don't know how much of that is too. I will say. Thank you, Raven Bobby. You brought it up because I, I agree with you on this. I wonder how much of that is what war has done to him. We we see him talking with Lamar about certain things, and I think what then leads to the next thing is they get into a fight that's a, not, I don't want to say a setup, but clearly Battlestar and and the new Captain America, John Walker, were following Sam and Bucky when they come to meet with Carly. And there's a there's a whole scene. They fight, and Battlestar ends up getting killed by the super soldier. So they kick him. He hits into a pillar. Looks like he pretty much breaks his neck or back, one of the two, but he, he looks mm-hmm. like he has died. And I think it was literally Carly Walker. that did it. Was it Carly? I can't remember if it was her or the other. I know it wasn't Pretty the sure dude she, who... No, because he tried to intercede in her. That's right. She was, she was yeah. flying in to stab Captain... Because John, if you remember, yeah. she had made the whole... Uh, plan that they wanted to publicly kill Captain America to show their yes. or the new Captain America to destroy the symbol. I like Walker and Lamar's convo about metals reminding him about his worst days, even though it's a congratulatory gesture. I feel like Walker's feeling pressure from all sides, but mostly he feels stressed out. He's trying to feel, feel Steve's shoes almost suffering from that. Yes, I agree with that. Like, that's why I think that he's a tragic character. Like, I think he wants to be something that he's just not. And it's hard to fill shoes like that. I mean, let's just be honest. It doesn't matter how pure of a person you are to try and fill Captain America's shoes to begin with is not, I think it's an impossible task. You know, we, we, we joked about this or not joke, but we talked about this. Um, Cause I saw a, uh, a Chris Evans interview. Um, I can't remember who it was with, but he talked about like the one character he wishes he could get a chance to play was Tony Stark. But he's like, that is Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, he doesn't think anybody will ever be able to play Tony Stark. And I agree with that. Like, just the way he embodied that role. And if you take that and put it into the Marvel Universe thing, like, nobody is ever going to be Captain America. And I think they set up Walker to fail immediately once they tried to replace him as Captain America. There's just never going to be another Captain America. And I get it. You're trying to, as they said, give America a symbol to root for again or give them someone to give them hope, but they, in my opinion, should have gone a different way. And I think that's but what that's, makes him God. That To me, that's almost why he agreed to be it. And that, that conversation goes back to the idea that he felt powerless. The reason, you know, the medals for his worst day, because he wasn't able to, to save, save the yes. other people. The reason I think that's part of the reason he steps into agrees to step into Captain America's shoes, because he's hoping it will give him, a platform or, or a way to undo some of those things. It's, it's an internal motivation. I'm not saying it was, it started out nefarious, but it's yeah. what makes him a villain because he's doing all these things for the wrong reason. And it's driving oh, him yeah, down the wrong path. It almost reminds me a little bit of the thing I love about the Godfather is there is a quintessential scene where Michael Corleone is standing outside, or standing with his father who's been gunned down, who's in the bed, and he feels a little powerless that his father, who he loves, even though he despises what his father's business represents, yes. he loves him, he loves his family. His love of his family blinds him to what he has to do. And in that moment, he says... I'm with you now. It's a dual meaning, not just physically present, but 
I am going to be everything I need to be to make sure this never happens again. And I think that is a little bit of John Walker. I am going to be Captain America and I'm going to do what I need to do because I, I don't want to feel this feeling of powerlessness, seeing people I care about hurt ever again. It leads him to become his own villain. You know, in Michael Corleone's case, he destroyed the family that he sought to protect. We've already seen Walker lose his best friend. What else? He's basically destroyed the reputation of what it means to be Captain America now. What else is going to be the wreckage of him following this path? Yeah, and so if if you didn't watch the episode, what Matt means by destroying the reputation is obviously after Battlestar is killed, uh, John Walker starts chasing after Carly and um, one of her other followers. Uh, he starts following him, gets into a fight, and then while you don't actually see it, pretty much decapitates him with with Captain America's yeah. shield with surra- onlookers and everything. In I would I, I can't remember. I, I think it's like a little town in cameras. What it looks like, yeah. yeah but everybody's there <laughs> filming it, and then he stands up, blood all over the shield. Doesn't look phased at all. Like he doesn't realize what he's just done. He has done. So as Matt just mentioned, completely tarnishes and and ruins the reputation of Captain America, and I think finally shows. Again, I don't want to say who he always has been, but clearly everything I think has led to this moment of him just becoming his worst enemy in a way, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think that this is what I don't think this is what Walker always was for based on the conversations he had with Lamar earlier in the show. It's not what he wanted to be. I still don't think I would say this is what he was, but it's led him to become this, whether it's the losing multiple friends in war, then watching Lamar die, the constant, I think it's fair to say the constant failure he suffered from the minute he's become Captain America, like nothing's gone right for him. He's not succeeded in anything really, except for holding the shield and becoming an icon, right? Like, I mean, he's failed at pretty much everything he's done since becoming Captain America. And I think all that has piled onto him finally just, now he's become this. And I, I don't know if that, I don't think that's what he set out to be. I don't think that's who he is, but it is who he is now, if that makes sense. Like all of these yeah. things, all these events led to him doing this, um, which obviously again has, has not, it, it's destroyed Captain America. You see Bucky and Sam looking on and in kind of just horror with all the other onlookers. So where do you think this leads the show to? Well, so, you know, if you're the U.S. government, you're going to have to do something about, you know, in the age of, uh, of live stream, you figure that one out live. Um, but Walker also doesn't seem like the kind of person that's going to give up his shield easily. You know, so where where does that leave him, you know, a man without a country on a, on a mission. Um, I really, I, honestly, I think that was the turn where you realize Carly Morgenthau is a problem and they're going to have to deal with that. Zemo, not a great guy. He's out in the world, but John Walker is the villain. Yeah. So raving Bob here says everything in this series so far subtly points to Sam's level headedness and why he is the perfect guy for the shield. Even though Sam opposes becoming captain America, each episode he is given a reason to pick that shield up. And I don't disagree with that. I think that's what Bucky has hinted at the entire time. It's like Steve chose you for a reason. And 
he's always been like a brother to Steve, which is probably why it means more to him. Cause I think I get it from Sam's point of view too. You know, I think it points a lot to what John Walker has suffered from. Like Sam doesn't want to be that. I would think because of how much he respected and probably in a way loves Steve for everything that they were been through. And it's not easy to be like, Oh, I'm going to step up and become captain America now, even though that's what he asked of him. Yeah. And it's the person that doesn't want power that isn't craving or trying to gain power. The fact that he doesn't want to be Captain America is part of what makes him the right choice for it. You know, Steve Rogers, you forget, he didn't go in knowing that he was going to take the super soldier serum or whatever. The way he proved his worth was he fell on a grenade. You know, he didn't know it wasn't going to kill him at the time. He didn't know it was a test, but it showed his, you know, I'm going to put others above myself. I'm not doing it for power. And that's what often makes you the right person to have that, that power. Let's just hope he doesn't end up like Jon Snow, just consistently turning it down. Yeah. So I guess the, the big question is what well, we got two episodes left, right? I believe that's the, the thing I saw earlier. There's only two left. I thought they had at least eight. We've only seen four. Did they only have six? I don't know. I could have swore I saw something on like a Disney a Disney or Marvel thing earlier today on Twitter said only two episodes left. Maybe I'm wrong. I'll look that up. God, I hope you're wrong because I, oh, you know, yeah, I've been I not you, watching but... uh, previews or anything because I don't want to have it ruined. But let's see. Oh, you're right. They only show six, which means that they would only have two left. Yeah, it's scary how the people who want the serum most are the ones who suffer from it the most. I could definitely see the serum taking a toll on Walker's health later down the line. Yeah, well, I would imagine they're going to wrap up the Walker storyline in this show. I don't. uh, Yeah. But if they only have two more, that's even more that they, you know, means we're really coming to a head here, which would make, I mean, it would sort of make sense. I thought they had kind of brought things a little too aggressively if they were doing eight or nine episodes. So that does mean we aren't going to have an episode of a Marvel show every week because Loki doesn't launch till June. I thought that's part of why I thought it was eight or nine episodes yeah that really sucks it means we got to go like the whole month of may pretty much without anything because yeah but we'll be doing so many uh rookie drafts that that's true i guess so i guess final question to close it out no what yeah because we only got two episodes left does sam become the next captain america i think that's where they've been leading for sure i kind of hope he does i like falcon I want him to well, I don't know if they're, I don't know that I, let me put it this way. I think he ends up with the shield. I don't know that he calls himself Captain America. I think that's probably the compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also, I think it's a hundred percent. I told you we've, they've released a toy that shows him with a red, white, and blue. That and he had a different name. I think it wasn't uh, Captain yeah. America. So two more things. I forgot about this. I was about to close out the show. Do you have any thoughts? This is a good question, Bob. I, I didn't even think about it. Do, do you have a thought on who you think the power broker is? And that will lead me into my next question. Uh, someone um, had posited that it was uh, Sam Rockwell's character. Um, oh, um, I remember his name right now. Dang it. And I Hammer. Thought, Hammer. I thought, Justin yeah, Hammer. Justin Hammer. I love and Iron I thought, Man. So just I thought that might... That might be an awesome, an awesome choice. The other one that um, I wonder about is in. um, uh, It just left me. 
I, I thought that was the best the best one. Um, I, I feel like it's going to be something high profile. Um, there was so, another arms dealer they dealt with when uh, when in the Black Panther movie that was played by. Um, uh, he died though. Yeah, that's uh, right. uh, uh, Killmonger killed him because I loved yeah, him. The guy right. who plays uh, Schmeagel. I can't. Um, yeah, um, that's. Who I can't I remember what his about. name is off the top of my head now because he's he's one of Black Panther's like biggest nemesis throughout the series. I was kind of surprised that he got killed like in the in the one movie. But although yeah. you have to be honest with these superhero things, is anybody really ever dead? Well, that's true. So what brings me to my next question, the power broker thing reminded me of it. Do you think he's the cameo? Because we did, I have not watched any of the things, but I did see one spoiler and I hate that I saw, well, not hate because they didn't reveal who it was, but they tweeted out that we will see a major cameo in one of these last two episodes. Uh, yeah, do you think probably. it's a power broker? Or do you think it's somebody else? Do you think we get to see? I think potentially it's Captain America. Interesting. Coming back, uh, there was all the rumors no, that Chris Evans like might be old signed. Chris oh, okay. Evans, though, you know, like how oh, he was yeah. at the end of Avengers. From a hero that is grounded, we've never. Who? Who? Even better. The showrunner teased that the next episode will feature a cameo from a hero that is grounded and never seen before in the MCU. Which means I'm gonna have to. No, I'm just kidding. Means I'm gonna have to turn my Twitter off Friday again because I don't want anything ruined for me. So, please let it be Deadpool. Uh, that well, Ryan no, Reynolds because it's never, pops up. Well, I guess he's never technically he's not part of the MCU. MCU. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That I mean, they have all kinds of weird things. Like Paul Bettany t- teased that you know he got to oh, share yeah. the screen with an actor he's always wanted to share, and it ends up being himself. Himself, yeah. I mean, technically, he wasn't lying. So, all right. So that uh, that will do it though for us today. Uh, we will be back. Uh, would love to see Tat. Well, I think Taskmaster's in the the Black Widow movie, isn't he? In that, in that, the villain. I'm pretty sure that's the villain for for Black Widow. Which you know what? Originally, the Black Widow movie was supposed to. Oh, uh, as the power <coughs> has supposed to have come out before Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So yeah. they've talked about how because some of the order got messed up, and because it's a you know building on itself universe, you might yeah. see some continuity things. Yeah, because I mean, was it this was the uh, Scarlet Witch was supposed to release right before the new Doctor Strange and, and Spider Man movies to talk about all the multiverse stuff? So that's kind of well, and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse, which is now going to come out afterward, was supposed to be before the last Spider Man, but Sony yeah. has said nope, we're releasing Spider Man where where we wanted to. So I have a feeling that Doctor Strange. This is going to be the second time Doctor Strange has gotten short shrift on his own movie. Yeah, that sucks. I actually kind of like I like um uh, Mike Cum- Benedict Cumberbatch. I think Benedict he does a great Cumberbatch, job. And, yeah, yeah, I think he's I think he's a great pick for Doctor Strange. So that will do it though for us today. We'll be back on Thursday to continue the mock draft, and we will talk about um our rookie wide receivers really quick before we get out of here matt bob wants to know which do you enjoy more so for wandavision or falcon and winter soldier no contest wandavision i think it's closer for me right now still wandavision but that's just because i like the suspense but falcon and winter soldier i agree is not finished yet i i I mean it could still it could still bounce up but i actually um so on Letterboxd, I have all of the MCU movies in there. I actually, once WandaVision finished, put it in where I would slot it in, and I had it up in the top ten. 
Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people who are actually really not enjoying Falcon and Winter Soldier, which I don't understand. Uh, I think it's actually been really good. I mean, there's been times I've struggled now that uh, I clearly see that John Walker is uh, a villain who is going to get his comeuppance. I'm okay with it. But in the se- that second episode where they were trying to build him up as a hero, I yeah. told you. I, yeah, I know. Lindsay, I know. I Lindsay wanted to stop in the middle, and I had no problem saying, yeah, we can stop and come back to it two days later. That never happened with Wanda. All right. That will do it, though, for us here. We're about to go to an hour 30. So join us again on Thursday. Again, we'll talk rookie wide receivers, doing some more mock draft stuff. And then absolutely, Bob, it's fun having you. Make sure to be here next Monday. We'd love to get your thoughts on what's likely going to be another really good episode. I cannot wait for that. So we will see. Prepare for glory. I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. If you got your popcorn ready. I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly. Oh, they tackle him at the point line. Who can make a play? I can. Who can make a play? I can. I can.